welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. I'm sure that many of the listeners to this podcast will have been reflecting on the social unrest that started with the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the subsequent protests about police brutality and racial inequality that have dominated the global media over the last few weeks all over the world. Like many of you, I've been reflecting on my actions and inactions and asking myself, what I can do better. I think that when you put yourself in a position that I have, where I talk about industry issues, you can't just pick and choose the non-confronting ones. You have to talk about the challenging ones as well. So I'm feeling a little anxious today because it's an important issue that affects all of us, regardless of the color of your skin. And I'm very aware that individuals and communities are experiencing a tremendous amount of emotional pain that is amplified by the coronavirus pandemic and the financial implications that are an inevitable consequence. So for today's podcast, I've reached out to Errol Douglas, who I've interviewed before in my Unplugged audio series, but this is the first time I've had Errol on this podcast, and it's certainly overdue. Errol is a wealth of knowledge and experience, so we aren't just going to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, but we will use this opportunity to discuss a range of issues, including the importance of hairdressing awards, Errol's MBE and the different roles he has in the industry, social media and racism and the Black Lives Matter movement. And in that regard, how the industry needs to evolve and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Mr. Errol Douglas, MBE. Hi, Anthony. How are you? I'm very good, and it's great to have you uh, on the show. Um, we, we will, I will get you to explain later on what an MBE is, uh, not just yet, because all our American audience will be thinking, what, what the hell is an MBE? Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. So, uh, um, look, I, I like to start off every podcast by you know doing a brief intro like that, uh, and then I, I really like to sort of uh, pass it over to you to – to do a, a brief introduction. So for people who don't know who Errol Douglas is, give us your sort of, you know, two or three minute backstory of, of who you are. And, and then we can dig into that a bit deeper as, uh, as we go on. So over to you, Errol. Okay. I'm not because obviously I don't want to leave out little bits. So you can take those bits. Um, obviously, my name's Errol Douglas, as you know. I've got a salon uh, based in Knightsbridge. Uh, I was born in East London, and um, for those of you who don't know England, East London uh, is one of the hardest areas to um, grow up in because um, it was just such a melting pot of people, but it, is, it was a hard area. Um, I've always wanted to do hairdressing. I always wanted to be a hairdresser, and one of my barriers, which I've always wanted to conquer and quash is European hair, Afro hair, any hair texture. So we've had the shop for 22 years. I opened the shop in 1998. And uh, we have an emporium of uh, the best hairdressers in the world. We speak nine languages in the salon, which is great. Um, my career, I would say, so far is um, photographic work, session work, TV, 
uh, mentoring, education. I've had some incredible ambassador roles uh, with um, L'Oreal, which is a matrix brand, uh, Goldwell, uh, Moroccan oil, uh, Balmain Paris, which is the couture range of hair and um, uh, clothes because we did all their shows. Uh, my current um, ambassadorship is uh, with one of the most innovative um, companies in the world, Dyson. I'm the trade ambassador for Dyson UK. And we literally are global. We're a global, the Errol Douglas brand, or I always like to say Errol Douglas London, is a global brand and we work with global people. Uh, my seminars and my shows, Japan, Australia, America, South Africa, Hong Kong, Italy. I could name um, so many countries where we do education. Um, so far, actually, because um, for those of you who are still on a, um, a lockdown, because I am, um, I've been doing loads of education and um, keeping busy in the respect of um, virtual education. Uh, one of the things what I stand for in hairdressing is definitely um, fusion and integration and um, uh, making sure people understand what I do. Um, I was president of one of the most um, powerful trade organizations in, in England. It's called the Fellowship. And uh, the Fellowship is a big organization of um, professional hairdressers. It's a non charitable organization uh, we have over 900 members and it's totally professional and it's a total trade organization and i was president for two years and that's okay. quite a big role because yeah. you're speaking into governing bodies um you're speaking into all the big manufacturers um all the big distributors so it's a big role as well as having my own salon and having um 40 about 48 47 people work for us currently okay well you, is you, that I'm, enough oh that's <laughs> yeah my, i mean my I, I i i feel stressed just thinking about the amount of different things that you do so uh, we'll dig into some of that as we uh as we progress during the next uh you know 50 50 to 60 minutes or so um but i, I want to go right back to the beginning um you okay. were born in you were born in the uk your parents yeah. came here in the in the 40s and 50s you were born in the 60s yeah uh, so i want, I want to ask yeah, you this 64. question you, you you grew up in London, sixties, seventies, eighties. What was it like for a young yeah. black man growing up in London during that period of time? Um, it was tactical, let's say, um, because I can't hide how I look, yeah, <laughs> and I can't hide who I am. So I had almost two things against me, but um, let's not say it it was against me because it kind of worked in my favor. Uh, yeah. Being a young black man and being a young black person who wanted to do hair uh, because they always think all the connotations. And again, you know, this is no disrespect to anybody out there. Um, if you're a hairdresser and you're a man, they automatically think you're gay. So that combination in, in, in East London, um, you have to be careful, but at the yeah. same time, you have to be, you know, your wits about you. 
But yeah. um, East London was a hard area only because it was, you know, um, very segregated um, up until a point. And, um, you know, um, blacks stayed with blacks, Indians stayed with Indians. Uh, so it wasn't good until obviously everything got a little bit better, but um, it was always polarised on colour, which is yeah. sad. Um, you know, it's the world we live in. Yeah. So, so how but, did you get but, into hairdressing? Well, hairdressing has always been uh, in my DNA. And I've said this to a blue in my face. Um, yeah. I've known it from about three or four or younger. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, because I was the youngest child, my mum took uh, me everywhere with her because it saved on uh, childminders. So I would do everything with her, go with, to her um, her friends. Um, she was had a very big social life. Uh, and the best um, part of following my mum, because she would go to the hairdressers and stay there for hours. Yeah. So that's, and I knew it was hair. So the minute I stepped in, and I, like I said, I was about three or four, and the minute I smelt hairspray, and in those days you smelt hairspray, setting lotions, you smelt... What, what age were you when you started hairdressing? I started hairdressing because Mrs. Johnson um, offered me a job. I started going in to hers on a Saturday at about 10. All right, okay. 10, 10 or 11. Okay, Mrs. so obviously that's illegal. And yeah. that, was her, that was her name, and that was the name of her um, salon. It was called Mrs. Johnson. So mm. I was going into hers and just really chatting with her. And, you know, I wasn't really working, but I just, she paid me to just be around. And um, that was so interesting because I don't know, and I do know in the, in the respect of, if you're a child and you're around adults, um, you know, your vocabulary changes, your confidence changes, you as a being changes. So that was great for me because I was around clients, I was around her and growing up. And um, she was literally one of my best mentors because she just told me, don't walk in that street, don't go down here. Because, you know, if you've got caught out walking around in certain areas, especially, um, color you would just get attacked or, or beaten up uh, mm. because in those days there were uh, a group of people called skinheads and the skinheads would always be patrolling um the streets so if anybody you know a skinhead is somebody who is white they're almost like a football hooligan looking type shaven hair green jacket white t-shirt Anthony, you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, you're, you're, you're being, <laughs> so, I, I get it. Yeah, fascist, yeah. fascist basically. Yeah, and yeah, looking, looking yeah, for young yeah, black very, man to, to beat yeah, up. Yeah, and you're yeah. a young black very, hairdresser, even more reason yeah. to beat you up. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Got you. So it's okay. very kind of right-winged. Um, but at the same time, you know, I um, kind of uh, try to befriend quite a lot of people because, you know, I'm who I am. But yeah. uh, at the same time, it's pretty tough because... You're always looking over your shoulders. And uh, in those days, and again, this sounds a bit weird, but it was true. You never walked anywhere on your own. Mm. So I had, I was one of five. I had four brothers. Um, so we always, you know, somebody picked me up or my mum's friend picked me up. Or I was with my uh, mother or my father. We were never alone. That yeah. was one of the things. You never walked alone. 
Okay. That's a song, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, so did you do an apprenticeship with, with uh, Mrs. Johnson in East No, Africa? no, you didn't. absolutely not. Um, right. We came to Verbal Blows uh, mm. when she offered me a job saying this is the only place you should work. And I said, I don't want to um, work in the area where I live. Uh, yeah. And obviously that was East London. And yeah. I said, when I leave school, um, stroke college, uh, which was, you know, you could be, the, the age then was uh, 16. I left and uh, went straight into an apprenticeship in the West End. So I left her and went into the West End because I had to learn. And this was my, ugh, it was such a gut feeling. I had to learn all textures. So mm. I started off with Afro texture and learned it. And, um, but I said to her, it's important for me to do European hair. And she said, oh, you don't want to do that. There's nothing in it. And I said, <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. So yeah. I got um, an amazing uh, job, uh, apprenticeship in um, the heart of um, London, or I would say the magazine district when I was 16. Yeah. Um, and we had all the magazines around. We had all the TV people around. And uh, the person who I worked for then, he was an ex-Sassoon guy. His name was Roger Hart. And uh, Roger employed two of the most um, amazing hairdressers at the time in London. And they were a duo. They were married, uh, Liz and Paul Edmonds. So Liz and Paul Edmonds offered me a job. And um, it was the most amazing um, interview I've ever been to, actually, because the salon hadn't opened yet. They reached out to everybody and uh, invited everybody to their home. So on a Sunday, I would say probably about, there's only about 15 of us met for the first time. And it was almost the interview. We had to interview each other and then they spoke to us afterwards. Mm -hmm. So what they wanted to see, which I thought was quite unique, they wanted to see if the team worked together first and then they spoke to us. Wasn't that right. quite unique? Mm, that is um, yeah. so so just to to put it into context again for our American audience when you say the West End um and uh Knightsbridge where that salon was it it's sort of like to London what Rodeo Drive is to um yeah. you know Los Angeles or whatever yeah. so it's, it's like yeah. the upmarket part of uh, London with a very high profile clientele and expensive uh salons etc that's that that would describe that sort of, you know, uh, salon business. So, so what you started working uh, with Paul Edmonds, yeah? Yes, I started uh, working uh, with Paul Edmonds, and um, the unique thing with Paul is or was, if he saw potential, if he knew you would be going to be good, he would stick with you because Paul had a load of assistants at the time. I think there must have been about seven or eight of us. And yeah. what he used to do, he rotated them. Uh, but for some reason, I was his junior for just just under three years, and he didn't rotate me. So that caused quite a lot of um, talk. You know, why him? What's so special about him? But um, he decided at that stage to mentor one person. So mm. he literally tra trained me from the beginning when I was 16 to um, 
you know, just under 20, I uh, uh, qualified. And uh, by then, he'd had his own salon. So, yeah, we had an amazing um, time because I was starting off um, seminars. I was doing whatever. And this, I think this is the way to explain it. If you're assisting a hairdresser with a great profile, you do everything what they do. You do a mirror image. So Paul was known for teaching, photographic work, educational work, fashion shows, everything. He was known for the whole bit. And I was on that journey with him. Yeah. So wherever you looked, you saw Errol and Paul or Paul or Errol. Right. And okay. um, that's how my reputation grew because it grew through trade which was uh, my industry and it grew through consumer mm. um, consumer in London uh, through um, publications because we were in magazines all the time. Uh, we were uh, on local TV because we did a lot of um, TV programs. And uh, one of my biggest um, debuts was on a, um, the BBC, which is the British Broadcasting Corporation. See, Anthony, I'm getting like you. And, uh, <laughs> and the program which launched a lot of people, myself and hairdresser called Trevor Sorby. Everybody worships him. And Nikki Clark. We started on a program called The Close Show. Right. And okay. that was commissioned by the BBC. So that catapulted us. Yeah, Everybody wanted us. So it was like the first sort of reality sort of TV shows, wasn't it? Where yes. you were having, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Now, so it was styling I, models, styling um, celebrities as well. Yeah. Um, I want to jump forward a bit. Uh, I've already touched on this at the beginning in the intro when I said Errol Douglas MBE. Um, yeah. You are the youngest hairdresser to receive an MBE. Uh, do yeah. you want to explain to our global audience exactly what that is and what it means? Well, Again, and I'm going to have to be concise and precise. <laughs> An MBE is given to somebody in the community. So I could be a doctor, I could be a teacher, anybody in the community, but they have to not be sponsored. They have to have a submission by mm -hmm. prominent people, say, in their community. And if I'm an outstanding person within hairdressing and education, you get it because not many people in my industry do have it. And I received mine in 2008 and uh, I was 43 at the time. So that's very young for somebody who, you know, my background, I would say, in age to get it because mm. usually it kind of happens to not towards the end of your life, but you get it, you know, how I can describe it is lots of um, boxers and footballers, anybody so of their height of notoriety gets it. Does that make sense? So it, I got it, it. It does, yeah. When I wasn't even, I was there, but I don't classify myself as kind of where I wanted to be then. But yeah. um, to get it at that age and, you know, for education, spreading the global word of hairdressing. So MBE stands for Member of the British Empire. Yeah. So it's 
it's an investiture and it's it's the one of the highest and um i was fortunate enough it was given to me by the queen yeah not prince Fantastic. charles or yeah Princess so you, you, you physically you physically stand in front of the queen and she she you know gives you an mbe and yeah, she I, pins I, I on you she pins it on you right and yeah and and that's what you're now entitled to be called Errol Douglas MBE. It's it's like yeah. a, a you know it's like yeah. a doctor has you know that yeah. But the, but the funniest thing, it, it, yeah, you have it after your name. But the funniest thing, um, when I'm traveling around, they always call me Sir, and I said yeah. no, I'm not Sir, not yet anyway. Um, <laughs> it's Errol, but you have this, and I said no, it's something else. So I always have to explain, you know. Yeah. So yeah. it's quite funny when people call you Sir or Sir Errol. Oh, so I no, to it. fantastic. I mean, there's only about there's only about what half a dozen uh, hairdressers that have ever received an MBE, and yes. for you to be yeah. the, the youngest of them when you received yeah. it is uh, highly admirable. So, so, so did you? You went to Buckingham Palace to get it. Yes, um, right. you go in the front. You don't go in the side entrance. So yeah. if anybody's been to Buckingham Palace, it's the most um, surreal experience because you go past it every day, um, meaning I'm a Londoner. So yeah. I see Buckingham Palace. But to be received on the big front gates is um, a spectacle. And um, we've all seen it in The Crown and other things. and. I'm not the plug plug Netflix, but we've seen it. Uh, the door of Buckingham Palace is like a concertina, so yeah. it's about five or ten doors across, and you go in this little door. So it's amazing, and um, yeah. you can't walk to the entrance. Everybody has to. You have to have a car. You have to hire a chauffeur-driven car, and you're allowed three members of your family to go with you. Wow! So who did so you that take? was a hard decision. Um, my parents, uh, I took my parents because, um, yeah. you know, God rest them, they passed away, but they were alive then. And I took my son, who right. was my middle um, child, because I've got two girls. And he was just obsessed at the time of anything military and uniforms. So that's why I took him, because um, you stand with the most prestigious of British officers. And, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. If, if, yeah. Again, and I have to say this, anybody's been to the Tower of London and you see uh, the beef eaters dressed up in their ceremonial uh, uniform. Yeah. This is the same thing going to Buckingham Palace. So, yeah, yeah it was great. Okay. So that must have been incredible for your mum and dad. I mean, to come to to yes. England in the 40s as a couple of immigrants, yeah. um, you know, and, and work hard, bring up a family in the East End of London, and then to be seeing their son get an MBE must have been a, a, a highlight of their life for them. Yes, it was, um, it was a very emotional day, Anthony, very emotional oh, day. And I shared it with my family and my team. So yeah. it was a very long day. Did, did, did that change your business at all? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it attracted in, clients because you've been acknowledged for yeah. your, your work. Yeah. It, it, yeah. In, in, in my profession and yeah. um, 
you know, I'm, I'm always in the news publicity wise. So you mention an MBE, you mention any type of award, um, clients love it. And um, plus the fact I'm located in Knightsbridge in uh, the most expensive uh, district in Europe. Yeah. Uh, we're next to Harrods, Sloan Street, um, Harvey Nichols, Selfridges. It's, it's a very great um, location. So everybody yeah. wants to see, everybody wanted to see who, yeah. um, I wouldn't say who I was. They wanted to see the team because I didn't just promote myself. I'm always promoting the brand. Yeah. Now, I know that um, so, from our previous conversation, I know that there's something else that, that you uh, have done that very few people have ever done. And that is that you used to go along as an assistant uh, when the queen was having her hair done and you used to actually shampoo the queen's hair. Am I, am I yes. correct in saying that? Yes, yeah. That was a weird. Actually, I don't. It was amazing. See, I've I've only mentioned that a couple of times because, uh, for one, you're not really supposed to talk about it. Right. Because all right, we won't tell anybody. (laughs) Yeah, you're. You have to. It's like official secrets act. You have to sign a bit of paper. So I can't tell you what I did in there. And yeah, just say I was fortunate enough uh, to assist um, the hairdresser. At the time, his name is Charles Martin, was alive, and he followed the Queen around for at least 30 years. Great yeah. guy. Right. Okay. And you, I know under your own, you used to also blow dry Diana's hair. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Did that so, a couple of times. And yeah. Okay. You know, yeah. So, I mean, that, I mean so, that, yeah, these are some major achievements in anyone's life, to put it mildly. And that brings us on to talking oh, about you. awards. You know, I know that you have received many, many awards, uh, including yeah. London Hairdress of the Year, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing that you and I have often laughed about um, is yeah. that you've been a finalist in the British Hairdressing Awards, which are every year. Yeah. How many How many years yeah. have you been a finalist for? This year makes it 24. So right. 24 years uh, consecutively on the top. Yeah. And um, and I have to say this because it's meant um, prior to the awards, I've um, had my salon for 22 years and I got the nomination two years before that. So I think it's pretty substantial and it means a lot to me to uh, have the nomination, but it's even more so to have it with a business because yeah. we train hundreds of people. Yeah. We're, we we are an established brand and we attract international press and local yeah. press. So it's very important to, you know, say that. But from my point of view, to hold the nomination, I haven't held the cup in my hand <laughs> yet, um, is it's incredible because nobody's done it. Nobody's... There's been, and, and it's not just because I've... Um, been nominated 24 times there's people in the competition who have been nominated i think 12 times or 10 times but um, mm. they haven't won so they yeah. must be in the same position i'm hang on 24 times 24 <laughs> years being nominated uh, i mean and being like right up there with six other people but never being the person to win it is 24 times i mean that is just incredible uh, what keeps you going back for it uh, and i know it's not something you can 
you, you, you don't you, you have to be nominated for it. It's not something you enter. You have to be nominated. Yeah. So yeah. after, yeah. you know, after 23 years of not winning it, don't you ever get to the point of going, oh, my God, that's it. I'm, I'm never going to do this again. I mean, what, what keeps you at it? Good question. Um, what keeps me at it is the fact that um, the nomination is not about me. The nomination is uh, for the brand. It's for my team. It's for all the people who I mentor. And it's a, you know, it's a cherry on the cake to, to get it. So it's like a champion thing. So yeah, the minute I drop it, you know, I can't just bow out because if you know my background and I say it from, you know, I go on star signs and earth and moon and sun, I'm a Capricorn. Capricorns yeah. don't give in. They climb and climb and climb and climb. So they fall off the top possibly, but we don't give in. So right. from the point of view, I will take it and um, it will be, it will be amazing because I, from my um, perspective of coming from, you know, the East end or coming from the streets or, you know, like, like you said, my parents, yes, they came from a different country. I was born here for me to take that as Errol Douglas, who is champion Afro hair and European hair. It would be great because, you know, not many people can have that award because mm. if you looked at the history of um, the British hairdressing awards, the people who dominated it and then the most prolific hairdressing names in our industry, Anti Muscolo, Trevor Sorby, uh, Angelo Seminara, yeah. Akin Kinesi. Yeah. You can't get much bigger than that. Yeah, yeah. So okay. they dominated it for years because one won four times, three times, blah, 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 up until yeah. now. And uh, there's never been a black man win it or a black person win it? No. No. Okay. No. But you have, you, I mean, I know you've won many awards and I wish yeah. you the best of luck, you know, for this year, for, uh, um, you know, maybe 20, maybe it's 24th time lucky. <laughs> Um, okay, so j just quickly about your your salon. You, you still work in the salon, don't you? Yes, I still work in the salon. I'm still very much um, part of the system. Uh, yeah. I don't run the salon. I've got a great business partner called Kim Clayton, and yeah. she heads up all the operations. And um, the, the salon runs itself, Anthony. I think um, gone are the days to have these overall managers because it doesn't yeah. work. I've got, an, I've got a manager of the desk. I've got the manager of uh, uh, my Afro department. I've got a manager who runs the floor. I've got my, my daughter who's uh, working with me. She uh, looks after the assistants. I've got yeah. um, a colorist who looks after all the colorists because we've got um, eight colorists. So it's, it's a cohesive unit. And then we have meetings when, when we need them. We don't always have to have meetings because... I speak to the managers and the managers speak to the team. And then yeah. obviously I'm going to have my appraisers with them, the one-to-ones and vice versa. Yeah. And it, it, I'm right in saying that you do all hair in the salon. Yes. That is your yeah. thing, that you do white hair, yeah. black hair, you yeah. do absolutely yeah. everything, yeah? Yeah. yeah. If uh, you research the name and research what we do on a global level, since 1998, Literally, and it's not many hairdressers in London still do it. We are literally the only hairdressers which accommodate both because mm. 
We're based in the West. We're based in Knightsbridge in the heart of mm. London. We have very international people come to us and the expertise and my strap line in the salon is technical excellence. Mm -hmm. We do all textures and we do Indian hair, Japanese hair, Afro-American, mm. does English. Does everyone do everything African. or do you have people who specialize? No, in no, 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 no. I train, everybody trains the same way. Right. So everyone everybody does it. Trains. Yeah. Yeah. But right. within the salon, because yeah. we have specialist um, uh, technicians who are doing weaves and who are doing uh, straighteners and texturizers and weaves, we have a technical department like that, but everybody can do the basics. Yeah. A blow dry, okay. a finish, a cut. Yeah. I know so, that's yes, something you're important. passionate about. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, just just uh, out of curiosity, how, as a as a hairdresser for yourself in the salon, how much do you charge? What's an appointment with Errol Douglas? Uh, for me, it's important to have a, an in depth um, consultation. Mm -hmm. So my appointments are by appointment. Um, I've closed my list. If anybody. Mm -hmm understands that i don't take new new appointments yeah um it's a by appointment and uh for men it's 200 pounds yeah and for women it's 350 pounds right so but that's about for, it's over 400 dollars yeah but yeah. for that so, service so you get me i i one of my absolute pet hates is um you go to a top hairdresser and they pass you off to an assistant to finish mm -hmm. you off or blow dry. Um, if you come to me, it's the whole appointment. Right. Okay. I blow dry your hair. I don't just walk away. So many people in top positions just go, oh, yeah. somebody else will dry do, you. Do, do you, I mean, your name is Errol Douglas. You sound mm. Scottish. Um, do you, uh, it's a Turkish name, actually. <laughs> is it really a Turkish name? Yeah, it's a Turkish name. Okay. Yeah. Well, what I was going to ask you about was the, the, I mean, okay, you said that you have a closed book, so you don't take new yeah. clients. But um, with a name like Errol Douglas, um, mm. has that ever created problems for you when someone thinks they've booked in with Errol and then yeah. you walk around yeah. the corner? Uh, well, has there been yeah. any problems with that over the years? Yes, all the time, all the time. All the time. Right. And again, you know, if I was to take this to heart, I wouldn't leave the house. Mm. But, you know, I've had stand-up challenges with clients saying, I walk up to them and they, I say, hi, blah, 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 talk to them. And they said, I'm Errol. And they go, you're not Errol. And I said, I'm Errol. <laughs> oh, I thought... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm and I'm standing here with uh, my yeah. name over the door. Yeah, you know, obviously they haven't done their research. Yeah, because they're thinking it's somebody else. But then again, it's kind of a slap in the teeth a bit because you know, just because I've got a salon in Knightsbridge, you can be anybody. So I don't understand that. But I do get that a lot. But okay, it's getting less. It's getting yeah. less because people, we do a lot of press, Anthony, yeah. people see me more, more visual. <laughs> you can't miss me. And uh, 
yeah, so it's not happening as much. Okay, well, let's, that, that's what I want to. That's what I want to talk about now. The the whole, yeah. you know, the the racism thing because you know this, uh, uh, you know, the murder of George Floyd in in Minneapolis mm-hmm. was like yeah. a. It seemed to be a point where, and I think it's because of social media, because it was it was yeah. filmed and, and the world saw a man being murdered in front of your eyes. Um, and yeah. it seemed to light a touch paper everywhere, not just in the United mm. States within, well, within hours, within minutes. It was the same things were happening across the UK with uh, protests mm. and riots. And, and I know pretty much all around the world that that, uh, mm. uh, that there has been a lot of protesting about that because, you know, mm. uh, white privilege and, and, and racism um, exist everywhere. And it seemed to me to be a moment, we seem to be living in a moment that is a real turning point where people have mm. just said enough and not just yep. black people, but white people as well have said enough. Do, do you think that this, yeah. does this feel like a turning point for you, someone who's lived with this all their life? Um, yes, it's an actual turning point, I think, for humanity. Anybody who has that disposition to be grown up and to not see colour, yeah. uh, but at the same time, you have to fight for your fellow man. You have to fight for your brother and sister. This is what this is about. There's, um, you know, black community, and especially in America, but it happens all around the world, have been oppressed They've mm. been uh, wiped out. They've been penalised. They've been imprisoned. They've been spat on. They, mm. you know, they were slaves. So, you know, it is quite interesting if you reverse history, and if you didn't take people out of Africa, if you didn't take people uh, from India, if you didn't take people from certain countries, what? How would this world be? So, mm. people enrich lives. They enrich each other. So yeah. it is enough is enough. But um, what I think this has to teach people is there's two different disparities of how you're treated. Just treat people fairly, equally. That's all. Yeah. You know, don't jump how, how on. Do you, how, do you, how do you... As a, as a black man living in London in, in 2020, how do you experience racism on a daily basis, whether it's with clients or going into the bank or into the shops or within the hairdressing industry? What, what are some of the things, you know, that, that you experience that, that, that I just, that I wouldn't, that I take for granted that I wouldn't? Well, again, you could be, you know, and I'm saying this because it's not, I'm not a victim here. And mm. I've said this to you, yeah. you know, I'm a successful person, black, white, yeah. or whatever. I'm a successful person in, in, yeah, um, in London. It just annoys me because people don't necessarily, they don't look up and take in who you are. They just give you a glance and they paint you with the same brush. So obviously I own a salon in Knightsbridge and I've told you what happens to me. I could walk into a blue chip company. Let's say I like watches. I haven't got one on at the moment, but I like watches. I can walk in to a store. Could I mention stores or not? Yeah, I can sure. mention, yeah, I can walk into Rolex. I can rent any store I like. And from the time I've walked in that store, and I dress well. Yeah, you do. There's somebody literally on you. Mm. 
but not leaving you space. They're just on you. Yeah. So I've learned to live with that because it doesn't bother me because I could be walking in with a friend or whatever. But the minute you look, because to them, everybody is suspicious, that completely annoys me because I, and that's the way I brought my kids so they could grow up and walk into any store. I yeah. travel business class, first class all the time because of work and it's in my contract and blah, 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 depending on where I'm going in the world. And I can obviously have my ticket. I show them my ticket. And literally five or six times later, can I see your ticket, sir? They then yeah. ask anybody else in the cabin, they just, yeah. <laughs> can I have your ticket, sir? And yeah. that's infuriating, but that's life. You yeah. know, that's my life. But at the end of the day, I, you know, I'm not going to let it affect me, but mm. those little tiny things, but it just, it's annoying. And um, I've got three beautiful kids. My wife is uh, Irish or my ex-wife is Irish and our kids mm. look gorgeous. You know, I've got this mulatto, uh, very South American, exotic looking. And they get it sometimes, but it doesn't happen so much, you mm. know, because you know they're, they're not brought up that way but it is annoying uh, i can um i do loads of fashion shows and you know if i'm not going to a fashion show i may be given a ticket and somebody says you know you can sit in the front row guaranteed sitting in the front row two or three people come up to me and say can i see your ticket mm. after everybody's just sat there mm. you know and nobody's asked for you know these things are just infuriating but that's mm. what happens. And what is it saying to you? Just because you're black, you're a thief, you're doing something, you're doing something. What is that yeah. about? Yeah. yeah. So, and like I said to you, I am successful within what I do. You know, I'm a humanist. I, I believe in everything. I believe in love. I believe in, um, you know, just be, just be fair. So, mm. yes, it does affect my life, but it's not overpowering my life. I think that's the and, word to say. And you're always impeccably dressed, expensively dressed. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, what, what does the industry, you know, I think at the moment a lot of people, I th in the introduction I said, how, you know, people are, are reflecting inwardly, and I, I think they are all yeah. over the world, organisations, individuals. Um, mm. what, what, what in your mind does the industry need to do better? Um, from my point of view, and I'm just going to be simple because I think mm. you can't overcomplicate anything. What you have to do, especially in um, London, in London, England, you know, our island across the mm. pond from uh, America, there's um, just over 55 million people. Okay. Mm. In London, I would say black ethnic makes up about three and a half percent, four percent. Mm-hmm. In my industry, there's no teaching for Afro hair on a big scale because if it was, you'd be able to go into any hairdressers and have anybody do your hair. But there's not a lot of training, and that's what we need, more training in Afro hair or textured hair. That's all. Just train everybody properly because, you know, you're, you could be a doctor, I 
could be a doctor. You walk into my um, office. You could be black, yellow, or whatever. Oh, I can't. I can't give you a treatment because you know it's the way you look. It's it's just so stupid. Yeah. So we yeah. should be able to educate mm. and awards. There's not many awards for um, the industry. You know, uh, British Hairdressing Awards has one ca- um, category: Afro hair. Mm. Um, L'Oreal has uh, one award uh, for Afro hair, and they used to own a company called Mazzani. Now they've taken their word away. It's just the Afro award. Um, Black Hair and Beauty used to have their awards, but there's no awards now. Uh, Weller doesn't really have an award. Goldwell doesn't really have one. There's lots of big companies which sponsor huge um, mm. categories. Uh, most Wanted, they don't really have uh, anything for texture or Afro hair. So all I'm saying is the high street and percentage-wise of what happens in this country is a lot. And there's there's not enough professionally. And mm. even when, even with barbering, barbering's taken off hugely. So there's not even stuff for men's, you know, yeah. men of colour. Yeah. Well, I, I know you said a minute ago um, uh, that something like 3 to 4% of the population or in London was was black. I think it's much higher than that in London. I know it's three three percent of the UK population is black, but I would have thought in London it was a much higher percentage than that. Okay, could be. I mean, I might be wrong. Yeah, but I'm just sort of thinking. I'm going to Google that. You know, walking around the streets, there seems to be a much higher percent black population yeah. than that uh, in yeah. London. But but, could but be basically, higher. what, what, could what be you're higher. saying is that there, there's a. I'm going by 2018. <laughs> right. Okay. You know, there, there's, there's there's a shortage of awards. There's a shortage of of you know opportunities to be recognised in that area. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, what, 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 and, and again, it, it's it's and again, and I'm I'm not just saying this for I'm just saying this because if you think of it, it's the it's the speak, it's the word of the world is mm. is this fair? Is that fair? And obviously other minorities get under that. But at this moment in time, you know, you don't see that oppression happening to anybody else. Mm. So I think it's quite interesting when people say things like black lives don't matter. Every life matters. Of course it matters. But at the same time, what, look at the, this, you know, it's, it's just so wrong what happens to people. It's just so wrong. And, um, you know, for me, as I, the words, I just don't like saying the words because, you know, and it is quite interesting. I know a lot of really famous people and they say to me, you know, I didn't know. And I think this is a great saying because it happened to me. I didn't know I was black until I went to the States. <laughs> I mean by that, it's how you were treated. You were treated even lesser, you know, you can go anywhere in the world and you're treated in the same way, but you yeah. go over to the States and I'm talking as a, you know, I'm talking about, and I won't name, his, name him, very famous guy I know. And he said, I didn't really know I was blacker until I went to the United States. Okay. Because of the way that, he was treated. Is that absolutely. what you mean? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And, um, you know, that's unfair. You know, it shouldn't be like that. You know, mm. uh, equality, the word equality, is there for a reason, 
you know, you can't make a decision on just because how somebody looks or they walk into the door. They could be the best hairdresser, best designer, best yeah. um, racing driver, best singer. It's just crazy. You know, that's why I always like to kind of close my eyes and then look at it. So I like to people to start talking, close my eyes, and then I open my eyes and then you see, oh, wow. You know, but yeah, it's, it's okay. crazy how we're judged. Sure. Can I, can I ask you some, some direct questions about that then? What, what would Ooh. you say the average salon owner needs to do better? They just need to incorporate all textures. Somebody in the salon and don't turn away business because you're turning away business. Um, hairdressing for black and white, especially people walking around the street, is too segregated. Yeah. Open okay, your so, doors. Train so, your so, staff. So every hairdresser should, in your mind, every salon should be able to accommodate whatever walks in the door, that staff should be yes. trained across yes. the, the, the board yeah. in, in all techniques and all different yeah. textures, yeah? Yeah. Okay. So you walk into a department store, there's everything there for you, isn't there? You're not going to yeah. cherry pick. It's just, it's the same thing. A high street should offer everything. Yeah. And as hairdressers, we should offer everything. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to ask you questions about different, different. Uh, what's the word? Components. Maybe it's the wrong word, but uh, of of the industry. What what should manufacturers do yeah. differently? Well, they need to encompass and um, spend more money on Afro hair or textured products because, again, they don't. There's there's a very slim line you can use. Um, in professional salons and you don't see color lines um, in I've been uh, you know uh, a quick story very quick I've been um, trying to launch my own products twice I've got nearly to the finishing line and the people I've been in bed with and they're very big blue chip companies have just pulled this pulled the carpet from underneath because they said oh we can't do that <laughs> yeah so that's that's in a nutshell. So yeah, manufacturers should offer more, and they should have more range of products uh, yeah, because I, that's why a lot of people get scared of products. Because even though if you've got an Afro person walking in the door, you're going to use a European product which is not going to perform in their hair. Yeah. So we need more products in the salon which you can cater for moisture. Yeah. Okay, make the hair shining. Most products, European products, you put it in Afro hair or any hair type, you know, and the word texture means three different textures. You've got coarse, you've got medium, you've got fine, but yeah. you'd put that product in the hair and it just starts to go white or it smells or, it, you know, it doesn't perform. Right. Okay. What, what, what about the media section of the hairdressing industry? And I include myself in this as a, as a, as a podcaster and educator. What, what yeah. does the media you know, section of the hairdressing industry need to do better? Well, I think it's understanding the audience and not saying there's nothing in um, Afro hair or textured hair. That's what I hear all the time. Oh, it's not big enough. It's not big enough. You know, that's what you hear all the time. But it is it's yeah. a big enough conversation to have because it's it's to do with people. You know, one of the biggest pastimes, and this is why this lockdown has been so infuriating for people, is they can't get their hair done, they can't get their nails done, they can't get anything done because we pamper, we pamper people as hairdressers. And yeah. in for black products and black, there's not enough of 
the pampering side of it. And that's frustrating. And in my country, and I'm sure it's just like in America or certain, there's only certain people you can talk to. You should be able to talk to everybody about this subject, which is so generic that then again, mm. it's polarized into one thing. So that's bad. So I think you should be able to have a bigger audience as trade, as press, rather than to speak to one person. You should speak to people who are doing it everywhere. So it yeah. needs to be bigger. Okay, if you if you had a uh, a young fifteen uh, year old Errol Douglas in front of you, uh, or Errol Douglas wannabe, who wanted to get into, who, who wanted to oh, get into right. the hairdressing, who, who no, I don't mean I don't mean you, I mean someone looking at you. I want to be an Errol Douglas, you know. Uh, so so if you had this young fifteen year old black kid wanting to get into the hair industry, what advice would you give them? Well. I would work as a big corp straight away. As I'm open in my salon, I would launch a product range because a product range is going to get you in everybody's houses and it will get you to be a household name quicker. I would open up a school to facilitate the products and to facilitate the salon. And it would just be more of an educational journey. That's all. The three things, products, a school, and a salon. That's it. That's what I'll be pushing, pushing all the time. That's what you would do, but okay. No, that's right. That's what I'd be saying to them because I'm not doing, I'm only doing one part of that. Right. Okay. So diversify more. Yes, Yes, absolutely. All right. Um, now I know I know we are running a little short on time, and you wanted me to make sure I finish by by uh, the time we're at. Almost yes, certain time. Uh, I can come back to you, but we've got to. Finish I know. Soon. Yeah, I totally <laughs> understand that. Uh, just, just let's just wrap up then. What, what is um, the future for you? Uh, the future, and, I, I, and I'm sure I said it on the last thing because I'm getting closer and closer, is to have my own range consumer yeah. range so that's shampoos styling. conditioners right um, okay and so it's got styling. yeah styling. It's got, yeah it's got to be an ethos of um what we teach um to step back a little bit more and um be part of the educational system because i'm in the salon but there's a load of projects um, i need to work on yeah and not you know, be going and doing clients. So, and it's all to do with hair, which I can't say too much now. Um, there's a lot of things I'm working on, but um, I'm a great believer. So, you know, once it's there, I'll talk about it. But good, um, good. styling okay. range, yes. Product range. That's the forefront of my mind. Right. And and and, um, and to and to finally win hairdresser of the year. British hairdresser of the year. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, yes. Errol, I was going to talk to you about social media, but we've run out of time to do that. We'll have to do that another day because I know you love your social media. Uh, where can yeah. people connect with you on Instagram or any other social channels? Uh, my social channels is Errol Douglas One. Uh, that's me personally. I have another one, which is Errol Douglas London, but that's a generic. And I'm on Twitter as Errol Douglas one and Facebook the same, but um, Instagram is a huge platform 
for me and it's a constant platform so yeah, yeah. i'm very much um yeah keep that going just right. look at errol douglas one on instagram uh, for my stories yeah okay I, I will right, i will make go. i will make sure i put those <laughs> links in the show notes uh, for everybody, everybody Errol yeah. Douglas I just want to thank you ever so much for being on the Grow My Salon Business podcast today and uh, good luck thank with you. everything going forward and thank you for uh, your time and your wisdom today thank you very much thank you for listening to today's podcast if you'd like to connect with us you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness and if you would enjoyed tuning into our podcast make sure that you subscribe like and share it with your friends until next time this is anthony whitaker wishing you continued success